Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson for God's Word this morning is based on Peter's epistle, 2 Peter chapter 1. The focus of our sermon is going to be on verses 16 through 21, uh, but we're going to back up and read some verses that come before that in the first chapter of 2 Peter. You can find that on page 9 in your worship guide or on the screen behind me or in your Bibles or devices. This is 2 Peter chapter 1. God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in this world caused by evil desires. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in them, in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. I think my microphone needs new batteries, so we might take a pause in a little bit to change them out, okay? All right, here's the question that we're going to consider throughout our sermon this morning. How do you know you're good with God? Or what do you look to, what do you rely on to know that your relationship with God is right. Now I'm asking the question because we're gonna consider that question this morning, but let me say this from the outset. I'm asking it and in doing so, I don't mean to issue or instill any doubt in your mind that somehow your relationship with God is not right or that you're not good with him. No, transfiguration, it's a sermon for certainty. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit works through this sermon, not this one, but the one that that the Apostle Peter preaches and shares with us, a, a commentary, a sermon on transfiguration, 
Oh, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit make you certain in this sermon about how you answer that question. But do wrestle with it. Do, do consider it. If someone were to interview you and ask you, how do you know that you're good with God? What, what do you rely on to know your relationship with him is right? What would you say? Well, in Peter's sermon, he gives an answer to that question. And we're going to dive in to his letter in 2 Peter chapter 1. What Peter's going to do, he's going to give us two points to consider as we answer that question for ourselves. And he's also going to give us two applications that we can make. But as we build up to that first, let's do this. Let's look at the life of Peter. Imagine you're sitting down with Peter and you did get to ask him. You were the one who got to interview him and say, Peter, we know you're one of the 12. In fact, we know you're one of the inner circle. You're one of those three, Peter, James, and John, that, that got to be with Jesus even more often than some of the other disciples. Peter, how, how do you know you're good with God? What makes you kind of confident in the fact that you and Christ are like this? Peter wrote 2 Peter 30 years after he spent time with Jesus on this earth. We can imagine that if we were sitting down with Peter, who, who's now in his 60s, and we asked him that question, oh, this isn't the young man, Peter, who, who usually answers questions without, well, maybe too much thought and, and just has a lot of gusto. You can picture Peter, right? now with experience in his life and some sagely wisdom in his eyes, looking off and, and reflecting on that really good question, thinking about the experiences, the life that he had with Jesus. Think about what built up to Peter recording what his life was like, his relationship was, was like with Jesus. You think about the very beginning of it. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus calls him and Andrew to be his disciples. Come follow him. And Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. Now be Peter. Peter, in that moment, how'd you know you were, you were good with God? I mean, Peter, you didn't even ask questions. You just got up and left. It's Matthew chapter 4, and you're Peter. Peter, how did you know your relationship with God was on solid footing after you gave up everything, your career, your family, to go follow him, and then your mother falls sick, gets a fever. She's, she's maybe on her deathbed, and, and Jesus shows up to your house. Jesus shows up there, and you're like, Jesus, welcome. Well, I don't have anything to give to you. I don't know how to cook. My, my mother usually does that. And then what does Jesus do? He heals. Heals completely your mother and she begins making a home-cooked meal for Jesus. And you see it. You see, th this is someone. This, could this be the Messiah? You spend time with Jesus, Peter, throughout his ministry. You watch him feed the 5,000 from just a few fish and a few small loaves of bread. Peter, you are convinced that, that this must be the Son of God. And so when he comes walking out to you on the water and claims to be the Son of God, you're confident, Peter. You're confident in him. You say, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come out to the water and, and I'll walk to you. Peter, in that moment, tell us, how do you know that your relationship with God is on, on such solid ground that, that you're comfortable walking on water if he tells you? Peter, I... 
How do you feel after you fall in? And Jesus reaches out his hand and he says, you got little faith. You, why'd you doubt? Peter, how do you feel as you go on throughout Jesus' ministry and you see the crowds of people gather together around him. And a lot of people don't know who he is. There's a lot of speculation that, th- that maybe this is Elijah. Maybe this is the prophet Jeremiah. Maybe, maybe this is John the Baptist reincarnated. And Jesus wants to ask you and all the disciples, well, people have a lot of thoughts, but who do you say I am? And there, Peter, you don't think. You just, you just speak first, think later, and you say, I know who you are. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Peter, in that moment, how'd you know? And how'd you feel? What were you looking to to know that your relationship with God is, is really reliable as you hear Jesus say to you, Peter, you're blessed. You are blessed because that confession of me, you didn't come up with that on your own. That was God. That was God revealing that to you. Pretty easy. We don't even ask how you know your relationship with God is good in a moment like that. But think about what happens next, just four verses later. Your clear confession, Peter, gives you really confidence in your Christ, but too much? Too much confidence? Because your clear confession then gives Christ the opportunity to clearly share with the disciples what's going to happen. Jesus says in just three verses later, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. But Peter, what were you thinking? You you pulled Jesus aside and and you started to rebuke the one you just claimed was the Messiah and said, no, you're not going to die. And Peter, how did you know your relationship with God was good? When he said, get behind me, Satan. Or were you even considering the question? I mean, good with God, are are you even with him? He called you Satan. Peter, what are you thinking? When six days later, one week after this incident, Jesus takes you, James and John, says, come with me. You walk for a hike up a mountain, are you talking to Jesus about, about what happened last week or are you kind of just walking in silence? What are you relying on to know that your relationship with God is right? And then that moment, you see Jesus in all of his glory, transfigured before your eyes, shining bright as the sun. What are you relying on then to know that, yes, this is God, this is the son of man. My relationship with him is, is solid Because then you go and, well, you interrupt the prophet Moses, the prophet Elijah, and God's own son speaking together. You say, it's good to be here. You want me to build some forts so we can hang out here forever? I don't know if you regretted it, Peter, but throughout all of that, how did you know your relationship with Christ is right? We might imagine We might imagine what Peter really felt during all of those moments, because Scripture doesn't say. But what we don't have to imagine is what Peter looked to, to know that his relationship with his Savior was solid. He tells us. He tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, and just for context, just so we know as we're looking at this and, and 
understanding what's going on in Peter's life. I said it before, this is 30 years after he experienced all that with his Savior, and he knows he's about to die. Peter says this, he says, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this, in the tent of this body, because I know that I'll soon put it aside. Christ told him that he was going to die. From history, we know Peter did die crucified like his savior. And so this is your Peter coming to you as you, as you sit down with him in an interview and say, Peter, how, how do you know you're good with God? He says, look, I'm going to do everything I can to remind you. I know you're already firmly established in the truth, but listen, I know that life happens, that there's highs and there's lows. And in those moments, I need you to know, I want you to always remember that your relationship with Christ is strong. Here's how. This is what Peter says. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ, in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. How does Peter begin? He says, facts only. These aren't stories. These aren't myths. These aren't just some folklore that I'm just making up to kind of paint an interesting picture about what happened to Jesus and what his life was about. And it did it illustrate this or that. No, this, we were eyewitnesses. We didn't make this stuff up. That's where he starts. And then he says this, it's not just what, what Jesus said. It's what his father said. Verse 17, he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came from him, from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. It's God's word so far. We're asking the question, how do you know, Peter? How do you know, people? that you're good with God. Here's the first point that Peter makes. Peter says this, personal experiences, they are unreliable. They are unreliable for personal experiences are liable to what? Well, personal interpretation. You can't trust your own experiences, your own feelings about those things. You can't look to that to know that you're on solid footing with God. You say to me, Matt, what? Peter just shared a personal experience with us. I mean, for being critical and maybe a little cynical, we could say, here's a guy who went up on a mountain, had an experience, saw smoke and light, and came down having seen Jesus and heard God. Personal experience, that's exactly what Peter just shared, right? Let's look again and look how Peter follows this up. Peter says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. What does Peter do? He says, look, I was there on the mountain. I saw Jesus. I saw the Son of God transfigured in all his glory. And then I heard it. Not just me, but go ask John. James is dead at this time. Go ask John. We heard the voice of God. And now we have this prophetic message as something completely reliable. In Greek, it's not, it's not just like completely reliable. It's a comparison. It's even more reliable than before. What is Peter saying? He's saying, look, look, this is not just my personal experience, what happened on transfiguration. 
What is transfiguration? It is a culmination. It is a, it is a complete confirmation of everything the prophets have ever said. Moses and Elijah were there. And just so you know that I'm not just making this up, that I didn't just see this appearance, the voice that we heard confirmed everything. Everything that Moses ever wrote. Everything that Elijah and all the other prophets said that the Messiah would do and what they would be like, they came. They were discussing the way forward and what Christ had to do. And then, and then I, I talked, I probably shouldn't have. But God's own voice came. The voice that, that you were there, you heard the baptism of Jesus and said, once more, listen, this is my son. I love him. I'm well pleased with him. You would do well to listen to him. What's the point of the transfiguration? Yeah, in one sense, it's for Jesus. It's for Jesus to be encouraged in his mission to save us by Moses and Elijah but it's also a hint. It's a peek forward. It's, it's revelation of who he is for us. It's confirmation that everything that had ever been written about him was true, even before he came and did the thing that he came to do, to suffer, to die, and rise. This is a peek at God's own glory and his son. And Peter says, no, no don't listen to just my experiences. Don't, don't listen to any personal experience, because those are... Those are liable to change. Don't do that. As you start out this morning and we can think about that question, how, how do you know you're good with God? Imagine if Peter answered that question by relying on his personal experiences. I mean, there's the high of knowing that you're one of the 12. You're special. You're chosen to be God's disciple. It's followed what by the immediate low that you give up everything to follow him, but your mother is suffering and Jesus, well, he's not even doing anything at first. Then there's the high of seeing that Jesus can heal. He heals demons, he drives out demons from others, heals leprosy and your own mother. There's the moment of seeing him transfigured in all, or excuse me, not yet that, but seeing him heal others, feed the 5,000, walk on water you falling in the water and, and doubting him even after you've seen all of that. There's the high of you confessing that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. There's the low of Jesus calling you the devil because you're thinking about selfish things and not God things. There's the high of going up on the Mount of Transfiguration and the low of sticking your foot in your mouth and talking when you shouldn't have. Think about if Peter were to rely on his personal experiences to say, this is how I know. This is how I know that I'm good with God. It would be up and down all of the time. And think for yourself, as you answer that question, because you have them, you have them too. You have highs and you have lows. And yes, you're not with Christ in the same way that Peter was face to face, but you're a Christian you're walking through this life with Christ, who is yours through the waters of your baptism. There's highs and lows with Christ. Oh, this is so good. I couldn't, I couldn't feel any closer to my God. There's times where you wonder, where is he right now? There's times where, where you couldn't see more clearly God's purpose for you. 
And you wonder why you feel aimless this side, this side of heaven. There's other times where you feel close to his people, God's people, and you get to speak about him and his word and you understand it perfectly. There's other times you read God's word and think you're growing in your faith, but maybe not. I have doubts, I have questions. There's times where I know I mess up, but I, I'm so thankful for the forgiveness that I have. There's other times you wonder, that again? Could he forgive that? If you try to understand your relationship with God through your personal experiences, that's unreliable. It's liable to change. You're going to be riding a crazy train throughout the rest of your life, wondering or not, am I good with God or am I not good with God? So what do you look to? Well, here's Peter's second point. Peter says, personal experiences are unreliable for the liable, for personal interpretation. They're going to change. But here's what we know. Scripture is completely reliable, for it is undeniable, spirit-fueled inspiration. This is where Peter is going, and he says it in the, these very next verses. He says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Remember who's talking here. This is Peter. This is Peter who knows this is, this is it for me. This is it. I, I'm going to go and I'm going to be with God in all his glory. I'm going to set aside this tent that I call my body and my soul's going to be with him forever. So I'm going to make one thing perfectly clear to you. I'm going to hope that you always remember this. Above all, know this. We didn't just make this up. No scripture came about by a prophet's own interpretation. Nothing. This wasn't a human invention. This Christianity, we didn't make it up. It came about by spirit-fueled inspiration. What does that mean? Well, we're saying that we can trust Scripture because it is completely reliable, and it's completely reliable because it is not the invention of people, but it is something that God himself spoke. Let me give you a picture of how this works, why we call this divine inspiration, what it means that the Holy Spirit gave men these words and carried them along. The Holy Spirit carried them along, all right? How many of you have ever floated in a lazy river at a water park? Okay, maybe a lazy river or just floated down a river, maybe the Rappahannock, okay? Now, if you really are floating and you have your feet up and your arms in, and you're maybe head back and you're just relaxing, what happens? The river takes you wherever it wants. The lazy river at a water park, okay, maybe you can swim along or run around. But if you just kind of put your feet up, hands up, and, and don't do anything, you're not in control. The river carries you along wherever it wants to take you. And so it was with the Holy Spirit. Yes, human beings with unique personalities, with their own experiences, in their own time and place in history, wrote these things. And yet... What does scripture tell us? It wasn't them. 
It wasn't them conjuring up the words to speak, but it was exactly, precisely, definitely the Holy Spirit giving them the words to speak, to communicate to you so that when you look at God's word, well, you can know. It's completely reliable. It's undeniable that this is, this is from God. And so let's answer the question. Let's think about how do you know that your relationship with God is good? You look to the scripture and you look to the promises of God in his word. We started out by reading these words from the very beginning of this chapter. Peter writes this, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Your God has given you everything you need everything you need for this life and eternal life in him. Your God has given you everything you need to know your relationship with him is good. He's given you very great and precious promises that you are his and he is yours, that all your sins have been washed away. He has given you his promise that he has loved you with an everlasting love. He has given you his promise that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is going to heaven to prepare a place for you, and he has promised you that he is coming back to take you to be with him forever in heaven. He has given you these promises again and again, and he's done so so that you can escape this world and all the desires that we have to look at certain things in our life, whether it's our own experiences, and interpret them like they're kind of the he leaves as though this is how we understand if God is loving us or not loving us. No, he says, forget all of those desires and just look here. I've given you very great and precious promises. You have everything you need. And I'm going to say it very clearly. Above all, know this. It's completely reliable. People didn't make this up. This isn't, this isn't from men. This isn't from women. This isn't from tradition or stories. This is from my spirit. You can know this. How do you know that you're good that you're good with God, it's because his word proclaims these promises to you. It's because that proclamation, that pronouncement that Christ Jesus heard on the mountain of transfiguration, that this, guys, listen, this is my son whom I loved, with him I am well pleased. That's the same declaration that your God makes about you. This is my daughter. This is my son. With them, I am well pleased. That's how you know. Not based on your personal experience, because sometimes it just might not feel like God's all that pleased with you, but by listening to his voice. Here's our applications that Peter gives us as we take these away. Here's the first one. We've been saying it the whole time, that we look at life thinking this way. We put divine inspiration over our personal interpretations. And that can imply in two ways or be applied in two ways. The first, we've said it already, as we experience things in life, how do we interpret these experiences? How do we look at them? Or what's the lens that we view life through to know if God loves us or not? We put divine inspiration, his words, God's promises over my feelings. We put his inspired holy word over Matt's personal opinion and interpretation of things. We look there. 
You think about Peter. Peter had experiences with God. He had some really awesome ones. We, we went through a lot of them. We could go through more. But Peter didn't even look to those experiences and the things that happened in his life to know that well, God loved him. And we looked to the prophetic message that he had, that he had confirmed as even more reliable because of transfiguration, that confirmation that Jesus is who he said he was. God's promises to you is what we interpret life with, that he no longer holds guilt against you, that he came here. God sent his only, one and only son. Why? Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. That is what we listen to. And it also applies to not only, well, our lens that we look at life, but this principle, this, this application that we put divine inspiration over personal interpretation, think through this. It also applies to how we look at God's word. Peter said that this didn't originate from people. This didn't come about by their own interpretation. That was true for those who wrote God's word. It's also true for you and me who read God's word. Here's a funny maybe illustration that, well, helps us understand selective listening. This person talking at work has a special hearing aid and it filters out criticism and amplifies compliments. Imagine if that's how we read God's word. Or maybe we don't have to imagine because it is, it's so easy to, to read God's word, listen to it and say, nah, anything that's hard for me, I'm just not gonna listen to it. But when it confirms me and compliments me, yes. And so we apply that to our own lens that we look not only at our life through, but also that we look at scripture to, that we look at it and we remember this is divine inspiration. This isn't subject to my interpretation or yours. And often you hear that, right? Like, well, that's your interpretation. That's Matt's interpretation. And someone else had this one. So it's whatever. No, no, no. This is God's word. This is God's word, and he, and he has a truth to communicate to you through it, a truth that is good, and you and I would do well to pay attention to it. Second Peter 1, verse 19, Peter is laying this out. He says, look, transfiguration happened. I saw it, I heard it, and because of it happening, it confirmed everything that had ever been written. You would do well to pay attention to it. It would be good for you to listen to it. How is it that we can go through life with this lens that puts God's word as the filter or the lens that we see everything through? Well, it only happens when we know what God's word actually says. We pay attention to it. We listen to it because it's good for us. And that's our final application. It's this one, that there's always hope on the horizon. Maybe a more more negative or dark way to put it is that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And that's what God's word says as we read verse 19 one more time. Peter said, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it. And here's why. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Here's the beautiful thing of what transfiguration is all about. Transfiguration was confirmation of everything that had ever taken place beforehand. Everything that was said about the Messiah, everything that was said about Christ was confirmed in that moment. Christ is who he said he was. He's God's own son. But this strange thing that had never taken place happened next. This experience that no one else had ever had, that Christ came. 
you saw him. Peter, James, and John saw him. Through God's word, you see him clearly. But he's not back yet. He's promised to return, but he's not here. And Peter's very upfront about what's going to happen until then. There'll be highs and there'll be lows. There will be dark places in life. Because this life is not yet with Christ in all of his glory, you're going to experience those things. But when you experience those things, you have hope. You have hope because you can look ahead. Look ahead there on the horizon. Do you see what's coming up? It's the morning star. It is Christ Jesus himself in all of his brilliance, in all of his glory. Though it is not fully revealed yet, you see it. You know it because you have this prophetic message. It is sure. It is undeniable that it is reliable. It is from him. And so you never have to be uncertain. Transfiguration means you never have to be uncertain about how you would answer that question. Am I good with God? What do I look to, to rely on, to trust that my relationship with him is right? It's the morning star. It's that bright sun that was there transfigured in all his glory. It is your savior who's standing before you through his word, through this prophetic message, and it's good to be here. Peter said that. Peter said that as he stood on that mountain of transfiguration. He said, Lord, look at this glory. This is awesome. Let's stay here forever. Peter misinterpreted that manifestation of glory that he saw. His words, they weren't really the right thing to say. The gospel writers make that clear. But we can take those words. We can take those words from Peter and, and make them our own, that it is good to be here. It is good to stand where you and I stand on the solid and sure footing of his word that doesn't change to know that we're good. We're good with our God because of who he is. God said it himself, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And that is the pronouncement that he makes to you. Stand in that. It's good to be here. Amen. 